Uh, last service, I was very nervous because I've never officially been up in front of Calvary. And so where I, what I want to start with is thank you very much for embracing my family since we arrived here a year and a half ago. You guys have been wonderful. I feel like, you know, we're family now. And so I just want to thank you guys so much for embracing us. And uh, besides Calvary Church, what's there not to love about living here in South Florida? I mean, it, it's been an adjustment, I'll be honest, dealing with the humidity and the heat of the summer for six months. But other than that, it's been awesome. So let me kind of introduce my family a little bit as I talk through what they love about South Florida. So first of all, my wife Lois, I've been married to her for almost 16 years, and what she loves is the fact, and it may seem a little strange, but besides the beach, and I said, honey, that's boring. Everybody loves the beach. I'm like, what else do you love? She said, I kid you not, she said, there, are, there seem to be less spiders here than where we used to live. I don't know. My, my son, Ethan, he's 14 years old, and I don't know what you put in that Florida water of yours, but since we moved here, it's like he's grown like three feet, but he's 14, and all right, so I didn't actually ask him, but this is what I think he should have said. He loves the fact that I have more time to restrict his technology. <laughs> you know he didn't say that. And then my daughter, Lucy, she's 11, and she just loves animals. And we live right, there's a pond right behind where we live, and there's otters and ducks and rabbits. And I mean, she can be focused on her book, and before you know it, she's off focused on chasing down some animal in our backyard. And the other funny story I have about her is shortly after we landed here, she, she, we've, where we've lived previously, we've had views. We lived up in northeast Pennsylvania where we at least had hills, and then before that, we lived in Denver. Colorado, where obviously, you know, Rockies, you got other views. So she assumes when we move here and she wanted to go, to go to on a hike, she assumes that we'll be able to find a place where we'll get a view. So me, of course, I've really never been down here other than like Disney World once. So I'm looking for where you can get views. And most of you guys already know where I'm going with this. But we live up in Stewart. And so I said, honey, honey we, can, we can cross a bridge and get a view. She says, no, and then I start figuring out another place to go, and she said, and I said, well, garbage dump? Because that's, that's it. That's all we got for views. And maybe, you know, some of you guys are good at shimmying up a palm tree, but anyway, that's her. Now, what do I like about living here? Well, besides, and, and I'm not just saying this, besides you guys, besides the church, I do love working in, and being part of this family. Um, I've enjoyed getting more time to enjoy a new hobby I've, I've picked up. And this is something I never thought I would say I do, but um, because I need to learn to relax, I'll talk about that here later in my message, but I've started to pick up Netflix watching. <laughs> That's what I've started to do. So one show that I've specifically liked and been watching on occasion is this show called Blue Bloods that you find on Netflix. It has some mature themes, but I like it. They pray regularly. It's, it's a Catholic family. They're part of the New York City police force. I grew up outside of New York City, so I love seeing the different scenes of the city. 
Not that that's New York City. Not that there's like a murder that happens every day. Because that's what the show's kind of about. It's kind of a whodunit kind of show. And so one show in particular I just watched uh, two days ago. It was this woman. And the detectives are trying to figure out who killed this woman, had a heart attack. And this other woman says, God told me that this man did it. God told me this man did it. And I don't know, I, I get sometimes skeptical, maybe you do too. The way the directors directed the show, you could tell they wanted you to be skeptical. Because they wanted you to believe also that she was not right. And it seemed like, I mean, at the end of the show, she's actually right, but they wanted you to think that she got lucky and that it wasn't legitimate, that what she said was true. Because obviously I'm headed right to where we're going to be talking about this morning, and that is that even you, even I, can talk to God. Now, maybe you walked in here and you saw the title of the message and you got skeptical. Can I really talk to God? Maybe you walked in here and you're hurting because you need to hear from God. Maybe you're just a teenager and you just want this over. You can talk to God too, I promise. And as we jump into our passage, I challenge you to be open to the fact that each one of us can talk to God. So, without further ado, hopefully you have your Bibles open, hopefully you have your handouts ready. Let's jump right in. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. Now, let's hold on just a minute, because, see, typically, Pastor Dan's up here. Again, it's intimidating to be up here, because I am not Pastor Dan. Typically, Pastor Dan's up here, he's teaching, and typically, because he's working through a book of the Bible, you already have the background. He doesn't have to, to, to catch you up on what happened, right? Well, I have to do that, because I'm jumping right into 1 Samuel 3. So a little background, maybe some of you guys know this story, maybe you guys are like, ah, I kind of remember Hannah. Remember that name? Samuel's mom. She was very sad. In fact, she was, was desperate to have a child because her husband's other wife, I don't know how you say that, her sister wife, I guess, if that's a thing, I don't know, was, she was beating on her verbally about the fact that she didn't, Hannah, did not have kids. And in that day and time, when you didn't have kids and you're a woman, I mean, that's all you have. It's not right, but that's the way the ancient culture, the ancient Near East culture lived. If you were a woman, you had kids. That was your value and your worth. And so for Hannah not to have kids was, was devastating. So desperately she goes to God, begs God, in fact, tries to, to, to work out a deal with God. Hey, if you give me a kid, I will dedicate him to you. And guess what God does? Gives her a kid. Samuel's name meant heard by God. I, I don't think that's irony. What does his Hannah do then? She faithfully dedicates him back to God. At four years old, Samuel is, is given to Eli as a, as a servant to serve God by serving Eli. Because Eli, again, let me introduce him a little bit. I don't know what other way to say it than he's kind of the pope of Israel at that point. I know it doesn't quite work because Pope's Catholic, but, but I didn't know what else to quickly give you an idea of who he was. He's kind of the guy to represent God to the people of Israel at the time. And so Samuel is brought to serve God by serving Eli. It's clear. Now there's some other guys too that were with Eli, Eli's sons. 
they were not so good guys. They weren't serving God. They were doing everything they could not to serve God. And I can't go into detail because there are kids in the room about all that they did. But let's just say they didn't just steal a little money from the tithe basket. They did a lot more. And so for Samuel to be able to focus at, you know, 4 to 12 years old is about the time that he was serving God. To be able to focus in and to keep his head down and say, I'm going to serve God is an incredible thing for him to do when he's got these other guys that, that certainly could have influenced him in a negative and wrong way. And so jumping into our first point, make sure you have your handouts ready. And just to warn you, I am a recovering Baptist, so every one of these points is going to start with the same letter. Maybe that way you can remember them when you actually leave here. So our first point is Samuel remembered, remembered, Samuel remembered what God last told him. Because what God had been saying through, his, through Samuel's mom, through Eli, is serve me. As our passage says, and it says twice in chapter 2, that's what Samuel faithfully did versus what Eli's sons did. Now, I should clarify with you all that, I mean, if you're trying to begin to apply this to your hearts and to your life, Maybe you can't do that because you don't remember what God told you because you've never heard God before. Because before I go any further, it can be confusing when I talk about hearing God's voice, right? Because God typically doesn't speak to you in audible voices. And if you're hearing a lot of audible voices out there, maybe we need to have another conversation. Because I'm not looking just at you, John. Other people, too. I like interacting. Uh, Because seriously, God does speak audibly occasionally to people, but there are special occasions it's reserved for. There are special situations it's reserved for. Generally speaking, most commonly, God will speak through people, godly counsel, circumstances. You see that in Paul as Paul was directed in certain ways. And God will speak through his Holy Spirit as we read and as we study God's Word. And once we have begun to figure out what God is saying to us, we need to be really careful and reference your outline that we're we're testing that. 1 John 4.1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We need to be careful. We need to get confirmation. And also, maybe for some of you, you have never really heard God speak through your study or your reading of God's Word. If you need further resources because you don't know where to begin in terms of reading or studying God's Word, I encourage you to write Bible on your connection card, and we'll, sometime this week, make sure you get some initial resources to get you started. Because I want to make sure each one of us have the opportunity to hear God's voice through reading the Word. Because I'm assuming most of you guys come here weekly and Pastor Dan does a great job of explaining God's word, and we do. We can hear God's voice through what Pastor Dan says and and explaining what God says through his word. Yet, it's our privilege as well, because we have the Holy Spirit living within us if we are Christians, to hear God's word through the week. So, back to our passage. Let's go to uh, what God's saying next. 
because we didn't make it very far in our passage to begin with. So beginning about halfway through verse 1 through verse 3, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. One quick word study input here I want to give you is that if you're in the New American Standard Bible, it will say temple, but this is not the temple that we think of when we think of the temple in terms of like Solomon's temple or later on. It it basically just means a, a religious structure. And really it should be translated tabernacle, which is the structure that the Israelites used as they wandered 40 years in the desert. That's really what this was in Shiloh. Anyway, taking you back into our passage, and did you notice that Samuel, at a very young age, took time to lay down, not just in the tabernacle, but he took time to lay near the ark of God, which represented to the people of the Old Testament the presence of God. Because in the Old Testament versus how we live today, it's not that God lives within them in the Old Testament. It's that God God resided in a certain space, which was in the or around the Ark of the Covenant. So Samuel, in order to focus his life on God, and I don't know if this was his nightly ritual, maybe it was, slept near or by the Ark of the Covenant. And that moves us right into the next point in our, our handout. Again, starting with an R. He refocused, refocused his life on God. Now, do you remember, maybe some of you do and have been around here for a while, maybe you haven't, but Pastor Dan occasionally breaks out his rock illustration. You know what I mean? Good. I'm seeing a few nods. So you, you get a big bowl and you get the big rocks and the small rocks and the sand, right? So in order to get everything in, you start with the sand first, right? Good, good. We're, we're awake and we're paying attention. Good. No, obviously. What do you start with? That's right. You start with the big rocks. And if you're smart people, like I know you are, you know where I'm headed. What, what do you put in your life first based on the point that I'm making here? Absolutely. Time with God. We need to focus our lives on God by prioritizing time with God in our day. Jesus provides the great example in Mark 1.35, where he says, and I quote from the Douglas Romaine version, holy are those that are mourning people. Again, making sure you're paying attention. What Jesus is doing is early in the morning, there's a little bit of truth there, early in the morning he goes to seek his father. And to be serious, if it's worth it to Jesus with the short time he has in ministry on this earth to take time to seek out his father on a regular basis, and, and, and he's one with the father, how much more important should it be for us to make that a priority, to refocus our lives on God? Back to our passage, verses 4 through 6. That the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli. And he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. 
But he answered, I did not call my son, said Eli, lie down again. Now think about it. When's the last time that you woke up in the middle of the night twice to help someone out? Now maybe if you're a new parent with a new baby, that makes sense. It doesn't happen often. Especially if you are in a close relationship with someone like Eli and Samuel were, and you know how sometimes you can rub each other raw, even if you're talking about a young kid. Again, Samuel was young, somewhere between 4 and 12 years old at this point, and Eli's older. Uh, I'm sure they got frustrated with each other. Yet Samuel cared, responded, and hurried to Eli's side, even in the middle of the night, twice. Again, reference your handout. Number three. The third thing I believe Samuel did as a way to hear God is he responded to God's voice by responding to the needs of others. He responded to God's voice by responding to the needs of others. One example from my life is, and I'll be honest with you, I've been a pastor for a number of years, different parts of the country, so typically... I'm the one called, or one of us are called, for hospital visits. And you think as a pastor, I should just be excited and jump at the chance to visit people in the hospital. I'll be honest, I don't. But it's funny how nine times out of ten, I leave a hospital visit just on cloud nine, so encouraged. Because it was like God intended that hospital visit for me versus that other person. Because it's amazing when I respond to the needs of that individual how God speaks encouragement and just lifts my spirit through that visit. I mean, even yesterday morning, uh, a few of us from church, staff and others, went and helped our new staff member move in. He had to get his U-Haul trucks back to U-Haul at a certain time, and we went and helped. And it wasn't like a worship service spontaneously broke out or a Bible study. Well, that wouldn't have been bad. But all of us walked away from that event encouraged Not because we were like, oh, you know, we're good people because we went and helped someone move, but because God, in in His way and His time, speaks to us. He encourages us as we respond to the needs of others. What are ways that we can respond to the needs of others in our lives? Get involved in people's lives. Get to know your neighbors. Get plugged into a growth group here. Serve alongside someone else. Get involved in people's lives. And before you know it, you will find yourself being asked to do different things. And before you know it, you may be encouraged by God indirectly through that individual. Back to our passage, verses 7 through 9. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be, if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Without Samuel, excuse me, without Eli, Samuel would have missed God. Without Eli, Samuel would have missed God. Because Samuel, being that, again, as I said, he worked around the tabernacle, he he was dedicated to God. He was aware of God. He was aware of the stuff of God. He knew kind of what went on in and around the tabernacle. But at the end of the day, he didn't know God. 
he didn't know God. It's like someone who thinks they know you because they stalk you on Facebook. I bet none of you do that here. It's like they think they know you even because maybe they work with you. But it's a very different relationship that you can have with someone when you do life with them. Because I bet your coworkers know you in one way, but your family knows you in a very, very different way. Right? So, and with all Eli's faults, which we'll see here in a few minutes in our passage, because Eli had known God at some point, he was able to direct Samuel the right way. I mean, yeah, he's older, an older guy. He was a little bit slow on the uptake. took him a few times. But eventually he figured out what Samuel needed to know. Uh, Samuel, it's God calling. So back to our handout. So Samuel, to hear God, recognized. There's our R word. Recognized his need for God recognized his need for God. Now, don't laugh, but when I came to Calvary, I was, the positive way might be to say, focused, intense, or maybe just boring and work-obsessed. I'm just a weird guy that way. I'm a very focused guy, and it's hard for me to have fun. Again, I know I'm weird. And yet, since I've been to Calvary, I've had some people help me with that. Jason, you've been a help. Pastor Dan has been a help. I know I was in a staff meeting at one point with my staff members, not with the whole staff, and and not that I was yelling at them. I was just intensely focused on trying to help them get to the next step. Because I'm excited to be here, and, and I want everything to go well. And, and then suddenly I see the door creak open. I see Pastor Dan's head pop around the corner as he says, Are we having fun in here? And if you know him well enough, that's a typical thing he says. Just to remind me that, and it's not that it's, you know, all we're doing is for fun, but that if it's not fun while we're doing it, it's going to be a bore. It's going it's, it's to slow us down as we work towards what God has for us here. So... I'm slowly getting better at having fun. I really am. In fact, I don't know if you recognize these keys, and I see he's not here, but the guy that was up here introducing me, yeah, these are his keys. (laughs) Yeah, he gave them to me. He did. He gave them to me. I didn't steal them because my family, he'd asked my family to take care of his pet while he was gone a few weeks ago, and I uh, misplaced them. Because I intend to play a prank. Because guess, guess who does not like spiders? Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't torture him with real ones. But maybe a few plastic ones can strategically place themselves in his house, right? And that's what I call mentoring come full circle. And when I use this word mentoring, some of you may know what I'm talking about, some of you may not. But when I talk about mentoring... I'm talking about that opportunity that God gives us to intentionally encourage others along the way. And there's nothing you can necessarily do to organize it because it's got to be organic and it's got, it's, it's got to be a God thing. 
And again, I encourage you guys to plug in in some way. Growth groups, serving. Because those are ways you can build relationships in such a way that you can be mentored, you can find a mentor, someone that can step alongside, encourage you, help you. Maybe you need to have fun too. So, back to our passage. Verse 10. Lord, the Lord came and stood and called his other time, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak for your servants listening. Now, maybe you grew up Maybe you grew up in the church with this story, so you know how this goes. You know where we're headed. This is no surprise. And so you're like, yeah, 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 Samuel, Samuel, blah, blah, blah. But you have to know that no one knew the end of the story. No one even knew the beginning of the story or the middle. Samuel or, nor Eli know that in the middle of what's going on at that night, that God's going to jump in and say, hey, it's me. And that brings us to our next point in our handout, which is God speaks in his time and speaks in his way. Because, again, because we're so familiar, some of us anyway, with the Bible, we're so familiar maybe with this story in particular because, we, again, we grew up with it maybe in Sunday school. Maybe we've heard it preached before. It's like, well, this is what's supposed to happen next. No. No, it's not. And, and it certainly it's not like Eli and Samuel had like lessons in the tabernacle and Eli's, Eli's like, all right, number one, when God does this, this is what you do. I mean, obviously, the story is very spontaneous. And so we have to know, as we apply some of these tips that I talked about, of remembering what God last told us in order to hear God ourselves, that this is not a way for us to manipulate God. This is not a way for us to, to assume that God is, well, has to speak into our lives just because we do these things. We have to trust that God will speak in his time and his way. All right, so we know that God will speak at some point to us. Good. That's established through the Bible, through Scripture. Now, the next question might be, what will he say? Because that might be a little scary or intimidating. And when you think about the God voice, what's God going to say to me? Then let's go to our passage and see what God says to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm in verses 11 to 14, so we're just continuing to walk through our passage. Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house. From beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Whoa. If that's what God's going to say to me, I'm out. That's harsh. All right, so you have to put that in context. Again, we missed the background of chapters 1 and chapter 2. But you remember, Eli's sons were not the best kids in the world. Well, not only that, but Eli was not disciplining them. I mean, I know I received this, and it's not politically correct, but it's true. You guys have ever heard of the Board of Education? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not talking about, like, a group of people. I'm talking about the wooden stick, the wooden paddle. 
That's what these boys needed, and Eli did not bring it. And not only that, but he was directly disobedient to a man of God who had the chapter before come right to Eli and said, you got to discipline your sons. Hello? They're, and again, like I said before, they're not just stealing some money from the tithe box. They were doing some pretty bad things. And yet, Eli lets them get out of control. And beyond that, Eli is a religious teacher. And if you've read James, James chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The point is, is that on top of everything else, Eli is held to a higher standard. So of course Eli is going to get this message. Maybe a little awkward for Eli if the message is not going to Eli, the religious guy who should have been getting the message, it goes to a 12-year-old kid. Because ultimately, God has had enough. As Pastor Dan said when he taught this message, Eli's grace clock just ran out. So, what might we anticipate after reading and hearing that? God will say to us, this is Back, reference your handout. This is your next point. God will say to both Eli and maybe surprising to Samuel what they need to hear. Nothing more, nothing less. He will say what we need to hear, which I would bet for 100% of us shouldn't be that kind of judgment. So, All right, so we know a little bit of what God has said to Eli, direct judgment. What's he saying to Samuel? Well, indirectly, what he's saying to Samuel, because the message was to Samuel, was because Samuel needed to share it with Eli, get out of your comfort zone. It's time for you to grow up. Time for you to take that next step. How did Samuel respond? Referencing our passage again, verses 15 to 17. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more so if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So how did Samuel respond? He was scared to death. Samuel, of course, couldn't get to sleep after hearing that message, would you? And then it's morning, so the logical thing should have been for Samuel to go to Eli, but of course, who wants to do that? Not me. So you see what the passage says. He opens the doors of the house. That's kind of code language for he does any other little chore he can to get away and stay away from Eli. So what helped Samuel overcome his fear? And what can that teach us about how we face our fears? Another point here, Samuel received, reference your handout, Samuel received unexpected help. Samuel received unexpected help from Eli. Eli himself, the one that this message is going to, says, I want to hear what you have to say. Because obviously Eli knows that Samuel received the message, and yet Eli is ready to face the music. Because as I said earlier, Eli has known God well enough to know that if there was something communicated, he needed to hear it. And and who knows why? Maybe it was he was worried about his kids. 
Maybe, maybe he thought, all right, this is it. They're going to face the imminent divine death penalty. I don't know why, but we do know this. Eli's courage in the face of this difficult news helped Samuel face the situation with courage. Because again, we're talking about a 12-year-old young man facing an adult-sized challenge. Now, was all of this worth it for Samuel? Because we may be even asking that ourselves. Is it worth it to hear from God? Is it worth it to prioritize? And obviously, as Christians, I hope we say yes. But even beyond that, our passage clearly answers that for us. Turning back to our passage one more time, 19 to 20. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, I don't have the map up, but just imagine we're in this country, and it's like he's saying from Maine to Florida. Or if we're in our state, from Jacksonville to Miami, all of Israel knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Absolutely is worth it to Samuel. Not just because he has the significance of being a, a prophet, the leader of Israel at the time, or eventually, because he was only 12 at the, that point, he becomes the vessel God uses to speak to people. Because, and again, reference your outline, when Samuel courageously, that's the blank there, when Samuel courageously did what God said, God used him in ways he could only imagine. When Samuel courageously did what God said, God used him, and this is the blank, in ways he could have never imagined. Again, I mean, picture yourself being 12 years old and realizing what, what's ahead of you. Maybe it's a little scary, but maybe it's exciting nonetheless. God rewarded Samuel by giving him eventual leadership over the country as the final judge and first prophet in Israel's history. Talk about a mind-blowing future. So, I feel like we've gone quite a ways as we've walked through 1 Samuel 3 as we head towards a conclusion here. Because hearing from God is much more Hearing from God is much more than just tuning ourselves to, to God's voice, but yet it begins there. And let me conclude with this last story of my own life. Because I know I stand up here and, and I am a pastor here, but I, I didn't want that mantle at all. I wanted really no part of it. Because first off, I hate public speaking. I know it seems weird for me to say that in this very moment, in this place, but I do. I, do. I, I was very nervous first service. You should have seen that. But it's nice when you have a first service, second, and third. And I wasn't extroverted like I saw other pastors being. And I also was aware of the negative side of being part of a staff. I mean, I'm sure any office has its politics, but it can be tricky being part of a church staff, whether volunteer or paid. So... But then when I started college, went to a Christian college up north, they required you to join a ministry team. So I looked through the selections and thought, ooh, that's a winner. Because see, what they did is when they sent you out to witness, and this was at a major university, they would send you like boy and girl, they'd match you up. Which this college freshman said, cheap date. They didn't say I had the, the greatest motivations for the most holy of motivations of going in. But then one night I was confronted by a Buddhist, of all things. 
And I remember sharing with him the gospel, walking through the litany of things, and dot, 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 because I knew the truth really well in my head. But then the Buddhist turned it around. And he asked me this question. He said, because he could tell I was finishing up my spiel, and he said, but why do you believe in Jesus? And I was, I was speechless. And I said a few things that made the most sense to me intellectually, but in my heart of hearts, I didn't know how to answer. Because, I mean, I could run circles around people in terms of what it means to be a Christian or what, what it looks like to, to organize a church. Or, I mean, I'd been a part of the church or Christian school community for a long time. I had it down. But when it came to really knowing God, when it came to, in my heart of hearts, living this out, it was a very different story. That night, I was hanging out with my roommate, and my back went out. So severely that my roommate ended up calling 911, and pretty soon I found myself on my back, immobile, 2 a.m. in the hospital, 19 years old, and I'm saying, what the heck is going on? I should be at my athletic peak. Why am I laying here, God? And it was in that moment that it wasn't an audible voice, but very clearly in my spirit, God said, are you going to play religious games or are you going to get serious with me? And I was convicted, obviously, because I knew God had called my bluff. He knew that I was just playing around. But he also knew that he had bigger plans for me at that point. And he needed to find out where I was really, really at. And I wanted no part of it, but I said yes. And obviously, a few more, a lot more yeses later. And I find myself humbly, reluctantly, scared to death, but right in front of you guys this morning. I don't know what God is speaking or trying to speak into your heart and life because God speaks. Job 33, 14 says God speaks and continue to speak, yet we're, not, we're unaware. And maybe you've stepped in here and you are someone that's hurting and you need to hear from God. Please know that God cares and if you draw near to him, he promises to draw near to you. James chapter 5, verse 8. Maybe you're a skeptic. And if you're a skeptic, God does not tolerate curiosity seekers. If you really want to hear from God, be genuine. Or maybe you're a teen and you're glad this is almost over. I pray that you've heard, you, you get a chance to realize that Samuel was 12 years old. God does not put the pause button on our spiritual life just because we're a teenager, just because we're a young person. I pray that each one of you have an opportunity to apply something from this message. And as I close this in prayer, as you bow your heads, I'm going to give you a few seconds to do a little business with God, and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. Dear God, thank you for caring for us so much that you want, you, the creator, the awesome, the mighty creator of the universe, desire to have a conversation with us. We ask that you help us listen and you help us to respond courageously to your voice. We pray all these things in the name of your 
your name, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.